A trial's not gonna deepen our prayer life unless we're going to God in it. Um, and so I, I think that's probably the key thing <laughs> for most people. I think there are all kinds, there's a verse, I think it's in Isaiah about um, finding the treasures that are hidden in darkness, that God has has treasures for us in our dark times. And I believe that he does, um, but I think we have to go to him in those dark times to find them. But I think when we do, when we run to him, he does have treasures. He has a deeper walk with him. He has um, things he wants to do in us and through us that wouldn't happen had we not gone through that trial. You're listening to the Reframing Ministries podcast, providing strength for today and hope for tomorrow for caregivers and their families. Here's our host, Colleen Swindoll Thompson. Hello, Reframing family. Once again, I am so honored to bring you hope and a message of strength for wherever you are today. Um, we are living in times, I think, that is almost suffocating with isolation and desperation. And that's where you may be today or someone that you know may be today. What I'm going to do today is speak with my guest who offers incredible hope to make sense of a good God in dire circumstances. And also, how do I live a life that isn't defined by my circumstances, but allows my circumstances to empower me to move forward for God's work or a greater work. And my friend Katie Ferris is here to speak into that. She's written a wonderful book called God is Still Good, A Gospel Hope and Comfort for the Unexpected Sorrows of Motherhood. And that's not only for motherhood. I would say this is a timeless message for all of us in need of strength, in need of the reminder that God is so good. So Katie, welcome to Reframing Ministries. Oh, Colleen, thank you so much for your warm invitation to be here. It's an honor. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I hope it's a blessing. hope it's a help to our listeners today. I know it will be. So Katie, you have, you're a mother of five. Um, very medically fragile children. But way before that, your story starts with you and your mom at a table, and she takes you up into an attic to describe an experience. Mm. Why don't we start mm. there? Oh, I'd love to. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I remember as a teenager, uh, I don't remember exactly what was going on, but uh, you know, it was just one of those everyday moments. And Somehow the conversation shifted and uh, the Lord made one of those everyday moments um, just a really meaningful one because uh, it's like he just took over that conversation. And um, I remember at some point my mom just realizing that for all of her memories of what my childhood had been like from her perspective... I didn't remember it the same way that she did. 
And so growing up, I had been diagnosed with kyphoscoliosis and uh, the doctors uh, weren't sure what to tell my parents. They were pretty confident. The one thing they were pretty confident of was that I would eventually need surgery, but there were questions of whether or not I'd ever be able to walk, whether or not I'd spend my life in a wheelchair. There were so many unknowns. And so uh, as a toddler, you know, I don't have any recollections of that time period, but my mom does. And my mom remembers how the Lord really used that time to um, work in her life. And she shared that day, you know, as we were talking at the kitchen table, she led me upstairs to um, a room that previously had been an attic, but it had later been converted into a bedroom. But she remembered when it was still an attic and she remembered where her ironing table had been, what she had been doing, ironing clothes, when just overcome with the hard circumstances and her fears and her concerns for me, her daughter, just, you know, uh, were just so poignant, so real. And yet the Lord in a very powerful way as the Lord can do, met her in that moment of her own desperation and um, just reassured her of his presence, of his love for her, of his care. And that moment of my mom just really surrendering my life, this situation to his hands and uh, and what that was like for her. And she was able to point to the exact place on the floor where she'd knelt down and prayed. And uh, she was able to do that. Um, but then in telling me the story, she did it in light of having seen how the Lord had so graciously worked since then in my life. And so at the time she shared this story with me, I was a teenager. I was walking. I was not only walking, I was playing high school volleyball. I was doing things that when I was two, my mom had no idea I would ever be able to do. And so she was able to share kind of that moment um, where the Lord had met her and uh, just come alongside of her and met her in her weakness. Uh, I think of that verse in Corinthians, um, that God's power is made perfect in our weakness and um, how he met her in that moment. And, um, and then she was able to share the testimony of his faithfulness in my life since then that she'd observed. So that was significant for me as a teenager, just hearing my mom's side of the story, and then also having a, a window into you know how God had already been so kind in my life to answer prayers, to, um, yeah, he'd just been so merciful, even before I'd known to cry out for him. Uh, so yeah, thanks for starting there. Sure. So Alpha's um, scoliosis, I'm sorry. Kyphoscoliosis. Mm -hmm. I know scoliosis, mm -hmm. but explain right. to me what that diagnosis is. Sure. So scoliosis has to do with the curvature of the back um, sure. in one direction. Basically, kyphosis is curvature of the back in the opposite direction. And so I oh, had okay. curvature going multiple directions and I had missing vertebrae, broken vertebrae. So that's what, um, just how I was born. So my spine was curved in its original design. The way the curvature um, works in my body, I have curvature in my lower spine, so my lower mm -hmm. back, and then also in my neck region. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So you're talking to someone who's, who's had a couple back surgeries. Mm 
So I'm very, very familiar with back surgeries, with the Mm. spine. It's the central system to um, so much pain in our lives Mm. because it connects so much. So you have never had any corrective surgery? I've never had corrective surgery, no. Do you live with pain? Um, Not the way you're describing. God's been very, very kind. So I do experience a degree of tension in my neck and shoulders, occasional pain in my lower back, but I don't even know how much of that is related to my kyphoscoliosis. And Hmm. uh, no, in my early years, I didn't experience much pain. Um, That's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is almost miraculous. And I think way back, I mean, not way back, but years ago, Mm -hmm. the treatment protocols were braces mm-hmm. and and yes. structures that held you in place and mm-hmm. and at a time when you were young those those assistive technologies were not as accepted as they are today so mm-hmm. you move on as a young adult to marry and then mm-hmm. have children and then a genetic difference comes out talk to us about that Sure. Yes. And to your point with the back braces. So I moved through maybe a dozen of those growing up Um, and my mom kept them all and she can show them to me. So that's part of the story too. She can show me how, you know, um, this is a visual, you think of those stones in the old Testament Mm -hmm. where they would set up those stones of remembrance. Mm -hmm. So my back braces are those remembrances for my mom of God's faithfulness at every doctor's appointment, always wondering, has the curvature changed? Any of that. So yes, we have those. And uh, so, yeah, so you fast forward and, um, you know, I guess the nature of a genetic condition, um, you know, my husband and I marry, we start having a family and uh, didn't have any idea that uh, there was, um, a genetic issue. I uh, didn't realize we were both carriers for this genetic condition. And uh, so we have five children, but um, one of our children at about two, two and a half became ill and uh, wasn't responding to treatments. And so we returned to the pediatrician, you know, after um, several days of being sick and she palpitated his liver and realized it was swollen and didn't want to alarm us, but she just sent us straight to the emergency room of a children's hospital to have further testing done. And from that, it led to about a month of more testing because even though he did um, recover from that initial illness, uh, his liver enzyme numbers were still higher than normal. And as they just did repeated checks and those numbers didn't resolve, they started testing and looking for an underlying condition. So he was diagnosed with something called alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency, Mm -hmm. which I'd never heard of before at the time. Uh, And, you know, that just um, was a season of grief. Uh, But I would say that um, the moment, I mean, I can remember the moment that I heard that one of his tests had come back and it looked likely that my one child uh, had this deficiency, but because it was genetic, they then, um, the doctors, um, wanted to test our whole family to see if anybody else had the condition as well. So, 
um, the moment that stands out to me where the grief was just so poignant was the moment that I got the phone call from the pediatrician that two more of my children had the same <sighs> serious degree of um, this condition. I remember just calling my husband uh, home from work. I just could barely talk at the moment. Um, and I'm sure other people can relate to that who have received a diagnosis that they really don't know what that means. Um, and so he came home from work. I just remember sitting on the front porch with him and just sobbing together. And then, um, you know, by God's mercy, he led us to pray together and just mm -hmm. go to the Lord with it together. So that was probably the day that our lives really flipped inside out and uh, just realized it's never going to look you know, the way we imagined or we expected um, our life so with young how, children was going to look. How did those, how does that diagnosis manifest itself um, physically, day-to-day -day activity, neurologically, relationally? Sure. Um, again, I, I hesitate just because God has been so good to our family and he's been so gracious. And I know everyone's story is different and it looks different for each person. Um, the way our children's genetic condition has played out is that there was a flurry of specialist appointments. There were new medications to bring into our home. Um, there was a lot of unknowns as to what this would mean for their future. The nature of the condition is it can impact the liver in childhood and it can impact the liver or lungs over time into adulthood. A lot of times it's not even um, found until mm -hmm. maybe someone is in their 20s or older. So at this stage of my children's life, what it looks like is regular specialist appointments, regular lab work, other forms of testing, ultrasounds, you know, just it's, it's monitoring their liver and their lungs, um, and other things that are involved with that. Uh, it's been a process to know what they can and can't do. Um, and that's really like, I think even though multiple children have this condition, knowing that it might look different for different children and it might play out differently is something that I've you know, had to wrap my mind around over the years, but my children are doing things now that I didn't know if they'd ever be able to do. So, um, I have a son who has a beautiful voice and can sing. And I just, I, you know, I stand next to him and I hear him worship God on a Sunday morning and I just try to just enjoy the moment. Um, mm -hmm. And not cast too far ahead. I don't know what his lungs will be like someday. I don't know how this progressive condition might play out, but I'm enjoying being a mom standing behind my, beside my children, worshiping the Lord that way. Um, and, uh, I just didn't know where we'd be. And right now we are in a, um, in a really sweet season where I feel like even though there was a lot of, um, questions and anxiety and fear in the beginning, I feel like we're in a season of having, um, just maybe a little bit of stabilization and just being able to enjoy our children and um, the season of life with them. 
So how old are uh, they now? I don't know if that answers your question, but <laughs> sure. So uh, my children age and range from six to 17. Wow. Okay. As you describe that, because my son does have liver challenges as well Mm. um, due to genetic and enzymatic differences. But what it reminds me of, because I love that with Paul, we're never told what the thorn in the flesh was. So often we can Mm. discount our challenges by saying, well, I don't have a scoliosis. I don't have a broken back or I don't have a neurological disease. But Honestly, when it comes to the function of our organs in our body, it reminds me of our mm-hmm. sinful condition and that mm-hmm. one organ's compromise affects the entire physical and spiritual mm-hmm. compromise of our mm-hmm. ability to function. For yours, mm-hmm. it's with the lungs. For mine, it's mm-hmm. neurological and spinal mm-hmm. and nerve. But for all of us, we're living in a mm-hmm. time where isolation and discouragement seems mm-hmm. to be the, the condition that is covering us. And I love mm-hmm. in your book where you talk about um, learning to trust the Lord in our, um, in our places of sorrow, to balance as a parent our sorrow and the things that we would say are bad or I didn't expect this with the fact Mm -hmm. that God is good. That seems so incongruent. The Mm -hmm. incongruencies of my experience, your experience, those who are watching or listening, their experience, then reading the fact that God is good. He works all things Mm -hmm. together for good. There is a plan Mm -hmm. and a purpose in every single thing. His Mm -hmm. love is never failing. His faithfulness Mm -hmm. is great beyond what we can imagine. Mm -hmm. That is not the experience Mm -hmm. of our lives. So Mm -hmm. how did you wrestle through that? on mm-hmm. those very difficult days. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. And I don't want to say that there aren't difficult days still or that sure. there won't be more in the future. Um, I think especially in those early days, you know, when my head was spinning, my heart was, you know, maybe not even able to put words to a lot of what I was feeling. Um, I remember having a journal and just writing down any verse that came, maybe from a friend, from a message, in a note, anything that stood out to me as somehow speaking to me in my season and just mm-hmm. keeping track of those verses um, and those being anchors to my soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think part of it has just really been pressing into God's word. Um, and again, in certain seasons, you know, that's maybe been limited amounts of time to do that. Um, but really taking hold of those promises and scripture that tell me who God is and who he is for me in these situations and taking him at his word, even if it feels different. So trying to believe what scripture says and what God's saying to me in his word, even if it's not what I feel like it is at the time, um, but those promises about his character, about his faithfulness, mm-hmm. his goodness are um, anchors for my soul to hold on to. Um, so in that time then, but also now, I would also say, um, you know, there's a process of grieving 
I shared this in my book as well, like Mm -hmm. the role for biblical lament of being able to recognize, no, it's not supposed to be this way. This is, I mean, when God first created man and woman before the fall, you know, um, he said that they were good and those bodies, they didn't have genetic conditions. They didn't have these different diseases. They didn't have the kind of isolation or discouragement that we battle today that wasn't the original design and sin entered the world and has changed that and so there's a place to grieve and lament that things aren't the way that god you know initially um designed things yeah. and uh and then also to be able to do that i think biblical lament is it's really knowing like we're agreeing with God that sin has messed everything up. Um, and, uh, and then lament when we're grieving biblically, I think it's then bringing those questions, those struggles, those feelings freely to the Lord, pouring our hearts out before him as David talks about and doing that with an emotional freedom and, uh, I think that process is important too. That we're not just slapping on this truth. Oh, God is good, like a band aid to the wound. Like mm-hmm. I, I think for me, when I'm hurting somewhere, that would be a temptation to just put on this um, this band aid. But I think also knowing that invitation when I'm hurting, that's an invitation to let God come in and minister to my real pain with his real comfort and not wanting to rush through that process. And I think as he's done that, as he's come and he's comforted me, he's reassured me that he is mm-hmm. good and that he is still good for me, even in these hard circumstances. And um, I think then just uh, wanting to be able to share his comfort with other people as well, um, that his goodness hasn't changed even when our circumstances are anything but good. Visit us at reframingministries.com for all of Colleen's interviews, articles, recommended resources, and more. While you're there, don't forget to subscribe and receive our free five-day video devotional series where Colleen provides pointers for navigating daily life and struggles. I love that you brought in lament because that's exactly where I was going to go, is that um, when we come to a place in our lives where our expectations are are completely dashed Mm -hmm. and our disappointment skyrockets, it's easy to fall back on our feelings. And yet God who made us longs for us to run to him with Mm -hmm. our emotions, which are encapsulated in a fallen body. And Mm -hmm. so when you lament, when you grieved, was that a wrestle that was hard for you at first? Or did you just follow into like, Lord, I don't get this. I'm angry or Mm -hmm. I'm grieved over Mm -hmm. this. It makes no sense. What did that look like for you? Yeah. And like you said, it can look different for each person. So I hope (laughs) no one listening is like, oh, hers look like this. Oh, mine look like, you know, it can look different for everybody. I think for me, I was just so undone. Like it was so overwhelming. I didn't know what to think or I could feel in that moment. Um, But I had been a believer for a long time. Uh, You know, I've already shared a little bit of my mom's story and, uh, 
you know, God's faithfulness to me as a child. And, um, and so by God's grace, he kept me in that moment. There wasn't a running anywhere else. He was really the only one I knew to run to. Um, but I'd had to run to him before. It wasn't the first time. And this was just a much more dire (laughs) situation that I'd had to run to him with before. Um, but he was really the only place I knew to go. Um, so I think for me, that's what it was. It was a running to God and um, a season of not understanding things, a season of confusion and overwhelm and um, waiting. And um, it was hard to even talk to other people because I didn't feel like anybody really understood what I was going through. So it wasn't even like, I mean, there were people I spoke with, but I didn't really feel like I could even connect with other people in that time. Sure. Um, And so I just, I think the love of my heavenly father that I didn't have to have words that he already understood and knew what was going on. He was my comfort during that. I think Katie, probably what you've experienced and what I experienced is that most often we run to people in the church expecting Mm -hmm. A response mm-hmm. that's welcoming or understanding, and we get anything mm-hmm. but that. So, mm-hmm. how can we be better as a church and also mm-hmm. as individuals welcoming mm-hmm. others into that process of lament and mm-hmm. grief and being with them through it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That ministry of presence, just mm-hmm. just being with them. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think you start there, especially if they're coming to you, mm-hmm. um, uh, just sitting with them, just being with them, praying silently with them. Um, it's not again. hard. We make it so much mm-hmm. more complicated, don't mm-hmm. we? Mm-hmm. 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 Just bringing your presence into that place, mm-hmm. which is exactly what mm-hmm. God does with us. Mm-hmm. You talk about mm-hmm. trials and five specific things that you outline that they do. Mm-hmm. They deepen our prayer life. They increase mm-hmm. our knowledge of God's Word and His character. They equip mm-hmm. us to comfort others, which is what Paul talks about for sure in 2 Corinthians mm-hmm. 1. It helps us realize that earth is not our home. And um, it it empowers us and strengthens us in our faith. Which one of those was probably hardest mm-hmm. for you? to embrace as you went through the season of grief and lament mm-hmm. and struggle? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. <laughs> I'm not sure that I can How about all five? honestly remember. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's all five and probably at different times, some were harder than others. They all um, fit in. To do. Yes. But yes. But I think it also goes back to what you were saying about um, running to God. You know, those things happen when you go to God. Um, A trial is not going to deepen our prayer life unless we're going to God in it. Um, And so I I think that's probably the key thing (laughs) for most people. I think there are all kinds. There's a verse, I think it's in Isaiah, about um, finding the treasures that are hidden in darkness. um, Wow. That God has has treasures for us in our dark times. And I believe that he does. Um, but I think we have to go to him in those dark times to find them. But I think when we do, when we run to him, he does have treasures. He has a deeper walk with him. He has, um, 
things he wants to do in us and through us that wouldn't happen had we not gone through that trial. Um, yes. And the other day I was just journaling and the words um, mm. that from C.S. Lewis, the experience that he talks about in A Grief Observed, he talks about that thing had to die, whatever it was. Mm. And mm. in my journaling, there have been in recent days some things that I have acknowledged that had to die and that mm. death is in the very dark, deep pit cave of death. Mm -hmm. And the mm -hmm. only life that can step into that mm -hmm. dark place is God, because mm -hmm. He is the creator of all life. Mm -hmm. He is the sustainer mm -hmm. of life. And just as mm -hmm. Jesus was dead, yet He was resurrected, so mm -hmm. God can mm -hmm. do that with us if we mm -hmm. allow Him into mm -hmm. that empty tomb. Mm -hmm. And I just invite mm -hmm. all who are watching or listening to not run from that, but to invite that space to be opened to God who's present and knows that there's a big wrestling. Um, mm -hmm. Katie, I love that you talk about self-talk and the lies that we so often believe because this relates mm -hmm. to lament. It relates to mm -hmm. going through the valley of the shadow of death. Um, mm -hmm. Our self-talk we often tell ourselves that trials mean that God is, that doesn't love me, that mm -hmm. I'm not good enough, that mm -hmm. God is only about pain and causing us pain in our lives, that trusting God is a waste of time, that trials are completely pointless, so just mm -hmm. go on our way, um, mm -hmm. that we suffer alone, mm -hmm. that we are the only one going through whatever it is that you are going through today, that our trials will never end and they are too big. The self-talk, it is true that mm -hmm. our trials at times are too big, that, right. that, that they are too hard for us. But yet right. your self-talk, how did it have to change? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, the self-talk had to be speaking scripture back to myself. And uh, this idea of self-talk, I remember for me, it was reading uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones' book, Spiritual Depressions, mm. several years ago. And he describes um, in Psalms how David is speaking to his soul. And um, I just remember hearing or well, reading, you know, reading about David and reading um, Lloyd-Jones' um you know, talking about self-talk and just really thinking, wow, I need to learn how to do this. And this was even before my children's diagnosis or any of that. Um, you know, so it's been very helpful to me to think in those terms that my soul will speak to me. It will constantly be speaking to me, mm -hmm. but am I, what am I listening to? And um, when my soul speaks to me, Am I going to discern when it's speaking truth or when it's speaking lies? And if it's speaking lies, do I know God's word and it's truth to speak back to those lies? Mm -hmm. And so it's very easy in any trial that we're talking about to have thoughts running through our heads, some true, many false, um, like the lies that you just mentioned. You know, maybe this trial means God doesn't love me, or maybe this is somehow a reflection that I haven't followed him closely enough, or I haven't done enough for him. There's so many lies that can come into our heads from our enemy. Um, but I think what I have tried to learn how to do is to stop and pay attention 
mm. to what's going through my head and then look and see, does that line up with scripture or not? Is this what the Holy Spirit would say, or is this mm. not? And my guide for that is going to be God's word. So if I can go and what I'm hearing in my head comes from scripture, then okay, that's something I need to hold on to. But if it's going against what scripture says, I know that scripture tells me that God loves me. I know scripture tells me that the proof of God's love is in Jesus dying on the cross for my sin. So if I can then go to scripture and take Bible verses and line those up and um, I'll just create a chart, you know, one side is the lie and then the other side is scripture. And then what does that scripture say? I might feel like maybe God doesn't love me right now, but scripture tells me God loves me. And this is how he's mm -hmm. proved his love for me. And that's been a very helpful practice for me over the years. Um, and uh, it doesn't mean that the lies stop or that I don't hear them, but I think with practice and over time, it's easier to discern the lies um, and apply God's truth to them. And I actually, I, the lies you read, there's a chart in my book, as you know, that has the lies, the truth, and then the scripture that supports mm -hmm. the truth. But you can also find it on my website if anyone's interested in just um, taking one of those charts. I have one hanging in my laundry room, you know, just someplace where I can see it regularly and be reminded just in the middle of every day, okay, this is what's true. Well, I, I was going to mention that, actually, because mm. at, at the end of your book, what you also include, which I think is incredibly powerful, is the go-to Bible verses for trusting God's power, His presence, mm -hmm. His compassion, and also the lie and truth chart. And it's very... Um, Neurobiologically, we are habitual creatures. We mm -hmm. do things out of habit as we grow up, and it's almost an automatic response. So our thoughts are as well. And as we practice new thoughts, then mm -hmm. our direction will change. What thoughts did you, did you find were so impactful, and how did you practice mm -hmm. that so it would become a habit? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, two good questions. So, um, can you tell me the first part again? Can you well, what me the thoughts were, what thoughts were the strongest mm -hmm. that you had to change mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or that you found, gosh, that's not really what God is saying. Mm -hmm. And then what mm -hmm. behaviors did you do mm -hmm. that followed up to change that pattern? Sure. Sure. Well, Okay. So I think my book as a whole <laughs> is part of the process. You know, sure. I'm a writer. And so being able to write is a wonderful privilege. And that is very helpful in the process of changing thought patterns as well. It very much but if is. I just, yes. <laughs> if yes. I just go to the title of my book, God is Good, I think the temptation for me in different trials, but especially with my children, is like somehow this is going to show me that God is not good because how could a good and loving God allow this to happen to children? And how could he allow this to happen to my children? So that is underneath of so much. Um, and so then being able to go and say, but no, that's not what scripture says. And that's not what God says about himself. And so I need God to tell me who he is, not my circumstances or how I'm perceiving those circumstances. And really, um, 
you know, in the book, I go back to Exodus where God's revealing himself to Moses and um, saying who he is, that he is a good and gracious God. And so I want my understanding of who he is to be defined by his revelation and by what he has said is true. Um, and this is kind of a side thought, but I think, again, you know, we spoke earlier about creation and the fall. Um mm-hmm. I think part of what um, we see in creation in the fall is that we are prone to believing what's not true mm-hmm. as human beings, and um, we are susceptible to lies. Yeah. And so um, I think just there's a humility that comes with just recognizing I'm going to be prone to believe lies. And so um, as a creature, you know, I'm designed to worship God and have a relationship with him and to love him. And um, so I want to be in that relationship with him. I don't know. I'm kind of getting scattered there, but uh, no, it makes, it makes perfect sense that that we are, that we are um, in a, in a, we're encapsulated in a body that is deteriorating. It is on a Mm -hmm. downward spiral. So to move upward takes conscious choice, conscious effort. Mm -hmm. Um, And trials are hard. They are bigger than we are. Mm -hmm. Because if we could could overcome our trials, we wouldn't need God, who's so big. Mm -hmm. And as we started out, just addressing the fact that God is good, but this world is not, and it's hard, Mm -hmm. and that we are not alone and isolated, can you help those who are watching and listening move forward mm-hmm. in in a way that provides hope so they are not stuck defining their lives by the circumstances mm-hmm. they're in now mm-hmm. but rising above that to mm-hmm. life um, god this is the life that you have allowed mm-hmm. and how do mm-hmm. i find hope in this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think I would start by just, you know, sympathizing with someone mm. who's in that place. You know, it's um, it's a place I would imagine you've been and I've been and, um, mm. you know, it's, it's a hard place to be. Um, but I, you know, I wasn't sure if I'd mentioned this, but in addition to God is still good, I wrote another book shortly before God is still good. It's, um, it's titled, He Will Be Enough, um, How God Takes Us by the Hand Through Our Hardest Days. And uh, in that book, I talk about what it is to live in the middle of your story. And I think that has been helpful to me to recognize that I'm living in the middle of a story. And um, and so, you know, walked through that season of diagnosis. Um, but I think like many people in many trials, and I think of someone who's facing cancer, you know, you're in the middle of the story. Um, you don't know where it's going necessarily. Um, you're right there in the middle of your journey, but how do we, um, walk with the Lord in the middle? And, um, you know, so much of it, I think is, uh, just with God's help, choosing to trust him, choosing to um, believe his word when he says that he's with us, that's his promise that he's with us and that he's on this journey with us. And uh, I think sometimes it can be as much as like 
you know what? I'm going to get out of bed this morning, or it can be as much as I'm going to pray and talk to God today instead of just staying in my own head. So those steps, you know, they may feel small, but those are steps in a good direction. Um, And then, you know, I'm just thankful, you know, it's been a process, but as I told you before, we're in a sweet season right now. I feel like the Lord has brought me to by his mercy and grace, a place to be able to enjoy the life that he's given us, even if it doesn't look exactly the way I imagined, even if my children aren't participating maybe in all the activities that all the other kids are, to be thankful for what he has given and where we are. And um, for someone who's living life in the middle of their story, to be able to come to that place of, but this is this is life and life is good yes. and life is a gift and God is with me today and his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. I want to live in him and with him today, the day that he's given me. And then I think the other side, what we do know for Christians is that no matter how hard the middle of our stories might be, there's a very good ending. Yes to the story. And that's what we look forward to. So that's been helpful for me too. There's going to be a day by God's grace that things won't hurt so much. There won't be pain. There won't be tears anymore. We're going to see Jesus face to face. All these things that we don't understand, we're going to fully know him, even as he fully knows us. And so there's a very good day that we look forward to, no matter how hard or difficult this journey is on the way there. You know, I just want to close by saying for those um, who are watching or listening, maybe Mm -hmm. came by this just by accident, and you don't know Jesus, and that hope is not there for you. And Mm -hmm. Katie and I have both and continue to walk through those difficult seasons because God is good, Mm -hmm. because He is faithful. And the mm-hmm. only hope is to run to him. Running mm-hmm. to anything else is going to be futile. And it's time probably to stop and just say, Jesus, I surrender and I accept you. Whatever you have, whatever it might mm-hmm. be, I accept. And then I know the end is going to be amazing because mm-hmm. he is amazing. Well, Katie, thank you for this time, and thank you for writing both books, the one about (laughs) being in the middle and God is still good, which is just a wonderful reminder that he is good. We can trust him. Things will go wrong, but he is with us through that. So thank you for living in the middle of it, and I look forward to the end of it with you. Yes. It's going to be great. Much longer conversation someday. (laughs) Yes. That will be wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. It's my privilege. Thanks, Colleen. Enjoyed today's podcast? We'd love to hear how you've been encouraged in our website comments and our podcast reviews. If you haven't connected with us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube, we'd love to see you there. The Reframing Ministries podcast is a production of Insight for Living Ministries.